You have your Bibles with you, uh, open them to 2 Samuel chapter 10. We're going to begin at verse 9 through 12. We'll be in this passage uh, for a good part of our God Talks this year. And uh, we're going to look next week more at the historical side of what is actually going on in the story. But to start, we're going to look at some of the principles um, that are in, involved here about courage. This was something God laid on my heart for us for this season, that we would talk about uh, courageous living as a Christian and, and as a believer. And this challenge from uh, my pastor friend, Mihai, is so very real and palatable to us in this moment. And uh, we are recognizing in America some of the things we have never seen before. And uh, as we gather here today uh, to worship inside our building, we recognize that across the nation. That's not the case for every state that in states like California and, and uh, in New Jersey and other places, they are restricted from gathering in their building. And um, there are uh, people who are not able to participate in those services as a result of that for various reasons. Um, people with young children sometimes uh, trying to keep them uh, in a, an environment outside, outdoors, at a distance. Uh, elderly people, people who are exposed to elements uh, that uh, of being outside, the heat, uh, the rain, the whatever it might, it might be, that there are people who are unable to worship as we're worshiping today. And so those words are, are extremely real. Michelle and I's first trip to Romania happened uh, just after the fall of the Iron Curtain. And we initially did not know Mihai. We were introduced to him uh, through a group that we started traveling to Romania with uh, over the 1990s called Leadership Strategies. And um, have so much deep respect for uh, Mihai and what he has accomplished and what his church has accomplished throughout Romania to go and establish uh, churches in all of the different provinces across Romania and put strong pastors there. His church was for a long time and continues to be a training center for young pastors and helping them, preparing them uh, to lead and to, to minister and to teach. And we watched uh, subtle changes take place uh, in our uh, journeys there and, and larger changes. We saw some of the West begin to pop up there, places that were not there before, McDonald's, um, Kentucky Fried Chicken, uh, we started seeing those changes year over year as we were going into the country and uh, a little more freedom, a lot of mistrust as we first came into the country with the people for very good reason. Uh, the secret uh, police uh, made it uh, and just uh, you were you were as a citizen, you were um, you were encouraged to turn in people who were believers. And um, so. Uh, there was a lot of mistrust, and as our first trips, there uh, very little eye contact with people. They they didn't trust you. We found a couple of words that would open their hearts and uh, and let them know uh, who we were and where we were coming from. And those were the words "pacha don Louis, which meant the peace of God. And suddenly, it was it was amazing. You're walking down the street trying to greet someone, talk to someone, and you got no eye contact, and people are acting as if you don't exist. Those simple words, Pacha Don Louis, and they would lift their heads and their eyes would light up. And suddenly they would go into 
uh, full language on you. Uh, I would catch maybe every fourth or fifth word. <laughs> makes sense. And uh, try to figure out what their sentence was. And, and we had interpreters with us most of the time. And But what a blessing as we saw the country begin to open. And yet there still are elements of communism there even today. We were on a... Uh, a train from Constanza uh, to Bucharest, a brand new train that had been created. Constanza is a more um, vacation area for them. And it was at one point a stronghold for uh, the Russian government. It was a place where they were and had all their homes, all the government people, because it's very beautiful there. It's off the Black Sea. And so on the drive, uh, on the, the ride back on the train, made my way up to the dining car, and I sat there and had a conversation with one of the government officials that was on that train. And uh, he was explaining to me that uh, he had been trained at Brown University here in the United States, and uh, he was bringing all of his understanding and beliefs back to Romania about how this transition was going to take place, and that what should happen is that um, the people in Romania should not really have equal votes. That the intelligent ones like him and everyone else who had been to university, they're the ones that should have a premier vote. And the other citizens of the country, the, the farmers, the poor people, the people who are not very bright, should only get lesser of a vote. And uh, it, it was startling to me to hear these things, you know, and yet, uh, as we have lived in America in the last decade or so, we've seen these things in our country. And he was formally trained here. So obviously he was learning in our university some of these things he took back uh, to Romania. And it's frightening that uh, this is happening. And yet uh, there's, a, there's a, a call to awaken by the Holy Spirit for the church right now like never before. And it's time for us to rise up with the only message that is the hope for our world. And that is Jesus saves. Amen. He transforms lives. He changes, changes lives. And so I'm hoping that what we come out of this series with uh, of God talks is the courage to be the church, the courage yeah. to be the church. If you found your place there, second Samuel beginning uh, chapter 10, beginning at verse nine, when Joab saw the battle line was against him, before and behind, he chose some of Israel's best and put them in the battle array against the Syrians. And the rest of the people uh, he put under the command of Abishai, his brother, that he might set them in battle array against uh, the people of Ammon. And then he said, if the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the people of Ammon are too strong for you, then I will come and help you. B, and here's the, 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 let's read this together. This is the verse that's the theme for our God Talks this year. Be of good courage and let us be strong for our people and for our cities of our God. And may the Lord do what is good in his sight. Amen. Father, open our hearts this season as never before, to the truths of your word and inspire us to stand in courage as the church of Jesus Christ. Lord, we don't know where we are on the astrological clock. 
uh, you know. But God, we ask that you would help us to do what is necessary in this season and time, that we might be obedient to you and effective for your kingdom. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. What is it out there that you are afraid of most? Is it death? Is it financial ruin? Are you most afraid of being disliked and hated by others? Are you afraid of clowns? <laughs> what is the author of uh, It? The Stephen King. Thank you, Stephen King, for making us all afraid of clowns. I have to tell you, though, on all honesty, I was afraid of clowns before It. Um, my, my parents, uh, it was my mom, at, at some point in life, uh, bought this, this picture of these two clowns. It was kind of oil painted. And uh, she decided a good place to hang it up was the bathroom. And she hung it up in the bathroom. <laughs> and these clowns were frightening because they, they weren't happy, really. They were just kind of sitting there staring at you. And the eyes were so real and alive, you know. And so what I would do is, like, if uh, I would go into the bathroom, I'd take this picture off the wall and turn it to, turn the faces towards the wall, right? And then uh, whenever I finished uh, showering or whatever I was doing in the bathroom, I would take that then and hang it back up as I left. So my mom, and, and occasionally I would forget to hang it back up. So my mom was starting to get the clue that there was something about these these clowns that I didn't, didn't like. And uh, so I had this thing going on before any of that took place uh, for Stephen King. So, but most of you may remember your first fearfulness with a clown as being uh, something around that movie or some kind of an experience like that. But what is it I want you to think about as we go through this series that you are most afraid of? What is it that brings about most fear for your life? In the mid-1970s, a young professor by the name of Roger Hunt uh, conducted a study in a small community in Vermont. And uh, he had this study ongoing from the mid-1970s all the way through the early 2000s. He studied how parents were parenting their children and, uh, and uh, at the time, you know, and he, and he continued that research study with that same kind of group of, of individuals all the way through 2000. And uh, the, what was interesting about it was the small town roughly stayed the same size. The population didn't really grow a whole lot more. So it was, it was, it was a great place for him to, to home in on and kind of see what was happening and the transitions in people. One of the things that he found was that parents, uh, you know, kind of like they, uh, he, was, he was kind of gauging their fears as they were growing about the big outside world. You know, in the beginning, it was a small world and, and uh, they were all engaged in and a lot of freedom. And then, then as the fears began to grow, there was transition. So in the 70s, the parents seemed to be comfortable with allowing their children uh, to go out and play several blocks away. Many of them were okay with them going even outside the city limits, riding bikes and hanging out in, in orchards and fields and, and uh, that everything was, was, was okay with them. As long as they were back by dark and they were back in time for dinner and they could all join together as a family for dinner. But what he noticed that by the time they were getting, uh, they reached the early 2000s, that parents had limited their, uh, the boundaries of where their children could go to their own property and uh, specifically the backyards and inside the home. 
And very few of those parents were even willing to allow them uh, to go out in the front yard. So he has a lot of conclusions in this study about different things he was looking at. But this is one area, and he wrote about this particular uh, experience and situation, these words. Our fear of what's out there shrinks our circle of living. Our fear about what's out there shrinks our circle of living. One minister I was reading this uh, past week, uh, I'm just going to read a little paragraph from what he had, had wrote on one of his blogs. Are you ready for heaven? Do you believe in Jesus and have you repented of your sins? Have you allowed him into your daily life and ask him to continually transform you daily into the man or woman he wants you to be? If you answer yes to these questions, you can rest assured that you will be with Jesus in heaven when you pass from this life to the next. We don't know what heaven holds exactly, but if we truly trust God, we can trust that when he says it's paradise, it's paradise. He goes on to say that we should not allow the worry and the concern about those things to be the forefront of our life, the decision maker for everything that goes on. Fear, when it comes to Christians, should be homeless, right? Fear should be homeless in the life of a Christian. Because Jesus said that in love there is no fear, for perfect love casts out all fear. Not just parts of it, pieces of it, things that God may not know about our future, but it casts out all fear. And so my encouragement to us as a church as we move forward is that we stop just hanging out in the backyard where the fence is and the safety zones are. I, we had an interesting experience recently. Uh, Zach and Lauren, Zach is our youngest, uh, they purchased their first home. And uh, it's, it's, it's in a, a really interesting neighborhood. I'm, I'm kind of falling in love with it more and more each time that we get a chance to go and visit them. I'll tell you just a little bit about this, this, new, this neighborhood they've moved into. It's not a new neighborhood. It's not a whole bunch of new homes in a row and side by side. It is a, a neighborhood that's been around for many, many years. And uh, there are homes there as old as 55 and 65 years. I would say average home is probably 40 to 45 years uh, old. And so, and, uh, and not like what you would think either. If you've been to this area, there are some, some even older homes that are what we call the gingerbread homes or colonial style. And so this is not that, right? This is like those shotgun houses, like what my grandmother lived in. And uh, many of them are in disrepair and leaning one direction or another, you know, leaning, leaning. <laughs> and they're leaning on the everlasting arm. And uh, there, there are others that are in better condition and that kind of thing. There's just a, it's just a mishmash of this kind of thing going on. And in that community, there's beginning to be this uh, revival of, of newer homes. And that's, that's what uh, Lauren and, and Zach, uh, you know, purchased was a, a newer home. These guys had bought the lot, and uh, they built uh, two homes uh, together there. They were very different homes and very beautiful little pretty homes. And it's a great, great 
home for them as, as a first-time home buyers. It's just awesome. But I'm falling in love with the neighborhood because they live differently there. They live in their front yards. In fact, they live on their front porches. They love sitting out on the front porch all day long. Many are retired and, and they're just, uh, they've found some comfortable seats to get out there. In some cases, they brought the couch from the living room and put it on, on the porch, you know, overhang. And, and this is kind of what goes on all day long is people are walking up and down the street and they, somebody screams at them from a porch and they walk over and start talking to them and the conversation just goes on. And I'm just sitting here watching this, just taking it in, doing a little bit of front porch living myself and uh, they are just engaging one another and talking and and uh, someone runs in and grabs a lemonade and brings it out and they sit down on the steps of the porch and they're talking and carrying on a conversation and uh, that's that's so interesting and then the other thing that will happen is they're just driving down the road with their windows down right and uh, Sometimes the music is rocking, boom, boom, you know, but sometimes it's just windows down. But people in the neighborhood will, will wave and uh, motion to them and they stop in the middle of the road. In the middle of the road, they stop and, uh, and they start carrying on these extended conversations. And in a few cases, Michelle and I have had to go, you know, we've been driving and we have to drive around this little caravan of cars, you know, back and forth in order to get to where we're trying to go because they have stopped to have front yard conversations. They've stopped to, to engage. And it's, it is so intriguing to me. And as we enter this season, a challenge that I want to give to us is that we begin to move to the front yard. We start having engagements there. What would happen if we started hanging out in our front yard rather than our backyard? What would happen if we had the courage to live without fear and we decided to engage the world and we decided to be a part of the solution? We decided to, to uh, seek out people to encourage them and to lift their spirits. Yeah. We had a, a gathering here uh, yesterday, and uh, we put our masks on, and we went across the street, and we handed out invitations to people, and we offered to pray with them. We said uh, to them, we're, you know, we're the church right across the street from you, we love you guys. We want to invite you, if you don't have a home church, to come and join us. And we would like to offer to pray for your household if there's anything going on. And I remember one guy answered the door. I was telling um, one of our elders this morning, one of the guys answered the door, and, and he, was, he had a troubled look on his face. And, and after we explained what we were doing and why we were there, I said, can we pray with you or your household about anything? And and he, he kind of ducked his head. You could tell there was a tear kind of coming down his face. And he said, the only thing I can think of right now is our dog, our family dog is dying. and hasn't he explained to what, you know, a blood disease. And, and uh, he gave us the name of his dog. And, and right there on the porch, you know, Jamie and I, we just, you know, started praying for this guy and, and praying for his family and, and this dog. God, you created this dog. You, you gave it to this family. You love this family. And, and they, they love their dog, and, and you love them. And, and God, we just pray that you can do a miracle there. But we also pray that you would just walk through the journey with this family every step of the way so that they know that you're there for them and, and you love them and you care about them. You know? We go to another house towards the end of our, our journey, and um, there was uh, a, a man answers the, the door in broken English, and, and uh, he says, uh, you know, I explained what we're doing, and he said, 
you pray? And, and, we, and I said, yes, pray. And he said, right now? And I said, yeah, right now, you know. And uh, so he, he took off, you know, it was just the, the glass, you have those glass screen doors, and he left his, his door open. So we're sitting out there, you know, and the thoughts kind of passing through my mind. Did, did he get back there and tell his wife? And she said, no way, or whatever, you know. And, and he's just too embarrassed to come and tell us, you know, to stop waiting. How long should we wait? You know? <laughs> How long should we stand on this guy's front porch? Are the police coming? Um, and uh, so we're standing there, you know, and I just felt like we're, we're supposed to stay here and wait. And in a moment, the whole family comes, the wife. And she has their six-year-old son, and she's, she's holding him. And, and uh, the, the, the oldest daughter, who, who speaks the best English, engages us and says, Our family just learned that my brother has autism. They were weeping, they were crying as they were holding this little child. And, and, and we just got hold to God for that family and just really prayed and interceded for them and, and asked God to minister and to lift their spirits and to encourage them. And what an encounter, you know? And just across the street, just across the street is, is, is opportunity for us. Can we do some front porch living? Can we see the people around us? I go home and my wife is our next door neighbor. We've been going through difficult season with them. They were um, older when we first met them. And uh, now 14 years later, um, there's a lot of things going on in their life and in their health. And now the, the husband, uh, they had a fall the other day and his, his falling caused her to fall and she broke her hip and it was just all kinds of situations. And so, we went over there yesterday, Michelle said, I just felt like I wanted to restore her dignity. You know, there's not many things you can have as you get older, but you can have your dignity. And, and, and she helped her, you know, get showered and, and get her hair done. And, and she looked awesome when I came over to see her. And Michelle's cleaning the house. And, and it's just front porch living. It's a different experience than living in your backyard. Courage to live. Can God give us the courage to step out on the front porch rather than the back? In the passage we read a moment ago, when Joab saw that the battle line was against him, before and behind, he chose some of Israel's best and put them in battle array against the Syrians. The commander of Israel's army, Joab, could see that the enemy was in front and the enemy was behind, and there was no escape. As Christians, as believers, we need to recognize that the enemy is in front and the enemy is behind, and there is no escape. And I think the question is, what do you do when the situation is, there's no running from it, there's no hiding from it, there's no trying to disguise and get away from it. This is what it is, and our world is what it is right now, and what will we do? Will we be the people of courage to make the stand? And Joab decided that he would. Joab's speech reveals three things that we need to understand about godly courage, and maybe three things that are inevitable about having uh, godly courage for us. And we see them unfolding in this passage. The first is, that we, we need to be obedient to the commander. We need to obey the commander. The second is that we need to unify against the enemy. 
Our enemy is not people who disagree with us on Facebook or Twitter. Or Our enemy is the enemy. And he's the enemy of the world. He's the enemy of all mankind. And, and we need to unify against that enemy. And the third is to trust the sovereignty of God. Do we trust God enough to say, we have done what you called us to do. Now the chips will fall as they may. God, you are sovereign. You are the one that's going to work this out. And bring to pass what you want to bring to pass. The passage reads, And the rest of the people he put under the command of Abishai, his brother, that he might set them in battle array against Ammon. We live in a kingdom under a commander. And our plans look like foolishness when compared to the plans of the commander. (laughs) We can bring them to him, right? Uh, But they look pretty foolish when we see what the commander is actually doing. God is in full charge of our planet. He's in full charge of our nation. Right now, the heavens are his throne. The earth is his footstool. He has not been moved or shaken by anything that's going on. And he has a plan, and he wants to work it out through the body of Christ, his church. And so one of the things we need to recognize is that we are under command and we need to spend time listening to the commander's plans rather than trying to force uh, force our plans into the situation. Proverbs 19 and 21 says, Many plans are in man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord will stand. Man has had all kinds of plans. We've seen some of them unfolding during the pandemic right here in our own nation. They have said different things on different days. Science reads this, science reads that. And and we have seen all of this going on that man has had plans. And all these plans are perishing and falling away and they will in time completely wash away. And what will be left is the plans of God. God's plans will stand for eternity. So then he says, uh, if the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the power uh, people of Ammon are too strong for you, I will come and help you. Be of good courage and let us be strong for our people and for the cities of our God. Unify. And I want to talk to you for a moment about the keys for us unifying. What is necessary for us to come together as the church, as the body of Christ, and to unify? First of all, We have a reason to unite. We have the same mission. We are all called to the same mission. And it doesn't doesn't matter really how uh, your specific call is. There are people that, uh, I have a good friend, that uh, Kristen Alvarez, we've had her here at the church. We supported the work that she's doing in downtown Austin uh, over this past year in our Thanksgiving and and, uh, would love to do some more for her and, and participate. She has a calling to the homeless. And she doesn't just uh, virtue signal on social media that, oh, the church is not really taking care of the homeless and all of this. What Kristen did was, God, you laid this on my heart. I can make a difference. And other people started watching what she was doing. And now there are some occasions where as many as 100 people, 100 believers, go with her to feed the homeless in downtown Austin. It's incredible to see this army of people. And this church has had a part in it. We've provided them with some needed supplies and provided them with some finances to help bring, uh, get food and clothing and those kinds of things. What a blessing. But Kristen would be the first one to tell you that the mission is to seek and to save that which is lost. 
I can feed you today. But when this life is over, you're facing the judge of the universe. And so what I want to do is to feed you and tell you that God loves you. And he has a plan for your life. And you don't have to have this destiny for the rest of your life here on earth. God has a plan for you and he loves you. Amen. So the mission is the same for us in Philippians chapter one, verse 27. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see or am absent, I am here. uh, I may hear of the affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together uh, for the faith of the gospel. We have that in common. We are about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're about sharing that. And so we can unify around that mission. Now, there are various kinds of callings in all of our lives that are, that are detailed and very specific. But they're really all about bringing people back to Jesus. Amen. And the second one is that we need to unite in our language. It never works. And I've said this Uh, so much over the last several months, it never works for us to co-opt the language of the world. The world has has fashioned words and terms right now that are being bantered around and and we're being asked to carry them on flags and wear them on shirts and talk about them. But we need to use the language that God has already given us, the language of the scripture. We need to use the language that that brings healing and and ministers and helps people. Listen to what it said in Romans chapter 15, verse 6. That you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God and the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what we want to do. We want to honor Him. We don't want the world describing to us what our mission is, right? We have, the, we have the mission down. We know what we're supposed to be doing. We want them to understand that God is, is the author of this, this mission that we're on. And it's about helping all people, loving everyone where we come in contact with, ministering with compassion and love in a way that, is, that, is, uh, that dramatically transforms and changes that individual's life so that they love Jesus and are following him. The third one is that we need to unite in membership. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 says, For the body is one, and it has many members. But the members of that body, uh, that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. We need to understand that we are, we are members of the same body, and though we have different gift sets and talents and abilities and skill sets, you know, we're unique in our personality, we're unique in our skill sets and, and uh, the, the things that God has placed inside our lives, but we are one body for Him alone. I used this example yesterday, we were talking with one of the neighbors across the street and he didn't have, uh, you know, he had, in his mind, bad experiences in church over his life. And so he wants to love Jesus and follow Jesus, but doesn't really believe that, that it's necessary to go to church. It becomes confusing. There are disagreeable things that take place. I used an analogy that my father-in-law used years ago that really stuck with me. And this is back when Muhammad Ali was a, was a boxer, you know, and, and uh, he was a champion. I loved Muhammad Ali, loved to watch him fight. And uh, my father-in-law said, what would happen if one of the members of Muhammad Ali's body decided not to participate? Let's say the little finger said, I will not make a fist. And so Muhammad Ali, he goes into the fight and he's trying to jab, you know, with just the left hand. 
as much as he can, you know, fight. And pretty soon he has to call this, uh, this fist into the battle and the, and the little finger won't, you know. And you guys can imagine what that's going to be like, you know, when he impacts uh, a glove or the person uh, and, and that, that little finger jams back in. And it won't be long before the battle is over and all because of one little member who decided they would not be a part of the whole body. And membership for us to come into conformity uh, with the mission that God has given us to be the body of Christ, to take our gift sets, our abilities, our talents, and use them together for the glory of God and for the goodness of God, it's necessary and needful. Our commander is the one who will set the position and he fills our hearts with courage. Third is this trusting in the sovereignty of God. This passage uh, ends by saying, and may the Lord do what is good in his sight. I'm not sure that we are all praying that prayer, right? <laughs> may the Lord do what is good in my sight. May the Lord straighten out all my social media friends. May the Lord convert those who are drifting from the way I will vote. <laughs> right? This is a hard one for us, isn't it? Because there were times that Israel wanted something that was not God's best. And in God's sovereignty, he, he granted them on occasion some things that they thought they wanted. And, it, and in the end, they found out that's not good for us. That's not really what we need or what we want. What we really want is what God wants. We want God's best for our lives. What does it mean that God is sovereign? There, it means that there is no limits to God's rule. And this is part of it, what it means. He is, he is sovereign over the whole world, over everything that happens. He is never helpless. He is never frustrated. He is never at loss. Yeah. And, and, and in Christ, God's awesome, sovereign providence is, is the place that we feel most reverence most secure, and also most free. Paul said in Ephesians 2 and 11, that God works all things according to the counsel of his will. And I want to say something that if you're taking notes today, I want you to write this down. It's so important for us to understand in our walk with the Lord. Your job, your number one job is to be obedient. Your job is to be obedient. God's job is the outcome. Hello? Amen. The outcome is God's job. You know, we, God, I was obedient. You didn't give me what I said, you know, I really wanted. It's just your job to be obedient. It's his job to, to take care of the outcome. The outcome is God's job. That's his sovereignty. Your job is to be obedient. If you and I are walking in obedience, we can trust that in, in accordance with God's word, according to the counsel of his will, is going to be accomplished in our lives. What are we most afraid of? If, the, if you're most afraid of the outcome, you know, what's going to happen what in the big out there, then you're wasting your time because God is sovereign. And the outcome is not in your hands, it's in his. Yeah. Right? 
So why worry for one moment about the God who clothes the lilies and feeds the, the, the birds and, and, and is able to take care of you? Why worry about the outcome when you have no control over it? It seems foolish, doesn't it? And yet, that's where we find ourselves so much. You can trust this about God. You can trust that God loves you. You can trust that He has your very best in mind. You can trust that He is able to provide for you and will provide for you. You can trust that He will go every step of the way for you. But will the outcome be exactly as you want? It's in His hands. It's in His hands. And that's what... Joab was saying, you know, he, he's like, hey, you know, let's do everything we can do to engage the enemy at the front and at the back. Let's support one another. Let's unify. Let's stand underneath the commanders. Let's do what we're required to do, unifying to, towards uh, what the, the common goal is. But listen, the outcome is up to God. If we prevail against these odds, there's no way we can take any credit for it, right? This is all God. If we don't prevail, that was God's desire too. Job saying, the Lord gives. The Lord takes away. Yeah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He's sovereign. He can do whatever He wants to do. My job is just to be obedient to Him. If you're waiting for life to return to normal, you're missing the moment. You're missing the moment. Right. The outcome is up to God. If there's going to be a normal that you and I think is normal, that's the outcome and that's up to God. But live in the moment. Live right here where God has placed us. The challenge at the end of Pastor Mihai's story to all of us is so very real and palpable right now. I want to invite our worship team to come back. I'm convinced that Millions of Americans are in denial, really, about the signs of the time, and that, that includes uh, Christian Americans. They're in denial about the signs of the time. They believe there's going to be uh, a, a, a normalcy to everything at some point, and, um, they, but they're in denial about the things that we're seeing around us that have forever changed the landscape for churches. There are things going through the courts right now in, in, in states like California that will have permanent impacts on freedoms of the church and the ability to own property, to, uh, to have services and all those kinds of things. And I'm convinced that people don't really understand the full ramifications of everything that's going on. And his challenge was so very real, brought me to tears as I was watching the video in advance of our gathering today and, and thinking through what life will be like as we go forward. And understanding that this was someone who lived underneath communism, and he fully understood uh, the fact that it could ruin your life to be a Christian. Here you heard him say that, you know, they could dismiss him from the university. He would have no right to an education because he was considered foolish for believing in God. That they would blacklist him from having a job in all of the country. He could have no job. And leaving the country, no option. You cannot cross the border. You can't leave. He was destined for starvation and yet made a stand for Jesus Christ. The outcome is not up to us. It's up to God. 
I've heard him tell that story different places that we traveled with Mihai about um, the commander taking him out to the soccer field and, you know, uh, you're going to find my key. If, you, if your God is God, you're going to find my key. It's out here somewhere in this grassy field and you're going to find it. And the fact that God instantly had someone just run up, you know, with the key and say, here's, here's your key. You know, you, uh, you probably lost this when you were out here playing. And the commander, not even recognizing the sovereignty of God, turned and said, you're lucky. You know, <laughs> the outcome is up to the Lord. I don't want anyone to remember this message after it's too late to do anything about it. At the judgment seat of Christ, it's going to be too late. So for those of you who are listening online, for those of you who are present this morning, here's what's going to happen over the next few moments. And I believe the Holy Spirit has been moving in advance of this service. We had such an awesome prayer time, Michelle and I did, both last night and, and today. This morning when we came together, and you could really sense and feel the presence of God here to do a work as we kick this God Talk season off. First of all, we're going to surrender to the commander. We're going to give him everything. We're, we're not going to hold anything back. We're going to make a full play, surrender here. We're going to say, God, we don't have it all figured out. And we need to surrender to your leadership. The best plans we brought to the table, they're scrapped, they're burned, they're destroyed. There's nothing of value in, in our own wisdom and in our arguments. My friends and neighbors won't listen to me. God, I'm not very wise when it comes to standing in the shadow of your great wisdom. I've made foolish decisions. I've headed down paths that have been destructive and people could point to my life and say, how come I should I listen to you? You can't keep your marriage together. You can't, you can't keep your finances together. Your children are, are disobedient. You know, you're behind on your mortgage. You, you know, they could point to our lives and say all kinds of things. And so you don't have any platform, but God, I want to stand on your platform. It's sovereign and solid and firm. And in order to do that, I need to surrender to your authority and leadership in my life. The second thing I want us to do is unify against the real enemy. Our real enemy is Satan right now, and he's using fear all across the world and in our nation to keep us in the backyard, to keep us from mission, to keep us in a, a, a fearful state of what might be out there. There's a couple of passages in, in Proverbs. They read very similarly, but he's talking about a, a person who has succumbed to fear. And he says, they say to the, there's a lion in the street. There's a lion in the way. There's, they don't go out there and look. They, they hear the roar inside their head. They're fearful of ever leaving their home because something bad might happen. And this is how the enemy uses it. So it, it's so palpable in our, in our world right now. And the third thing that we're going to do today is to put our trust in the sovereignty of God. God, I'm, I, I can't, I don't know what the outcome is going to be. I don't know, you know, if church will look like next year, 10 years from now, what it looks like now. I, I don't know what is ahead for me and my family. I don't know how secure our job is and, and uh, what the economy is going to look like and all those kinds. But I know you know. And I'm not going to worry about the outcome over here. 
I am, I'm, I'm going to live in obedience to you. I'm going to do what you say to do today. Today, I'm going to take the next step. Today, I'm going to move forward one more step. Today, I'm going to be obedient to what you've called me to do. And then the outcome, Lord, is, is totally in your hands. And when we finish praying through these, we are going to seal this by receiving communion together. You have those elements at uh, the ready near you in one of the seats. If you want to take that and pull the, the tab off the very top, which will expose that which represents the body of the Lord, the cracker uh, that is there, and be prepared for that. But first, let's pray together in a prayer of surrender of our lives to Jesus Christ and our great commander that he will lead us every step of the way. Will you do that with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you just as we are. We surrender our lives to you, Lord. There is no authority above you. Jesus, thank you that the Father said that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords, King of Kings. We make full surrender to you and your authority and leadership. We are giving up our plans for yours. We are surrendering to your leadership over our lives. And every step of the way, we're going to follow your commands. We're going to obey you every step of the way. Lord, unify us. Bring us together. Lord, against the common enemy, Satan, and the fear tactics that he is using to try to drive us apart and drive us, Lord, into, into submission and into a place where we will not rise up at the church and be the mighty voice of God. Lord, I pray that you would give us uh, the courage, Lord, in this season to arise and to speak your name and to stand as Pastor Mihai did and said, yes, I am a believer. Even if we're just one among 300, or 600, or 1,000, or 1,500, or hundreds of thousands, that we would have the courage to say, I believe in Jesus Christ, and I make full surrender to Him. Let us unify around the common mission to seek and to save that which is lost. Father, I pray that you would help us, that we today would surrender and put our trust in you, wholly, completely, and the sovereignty of God, that we would recognize that we have no control over the outcome. That is God. But we can obey you and follow you step by step. And so God, we give our future to you. We give the next moment, the next day, the next week, the next month, the next year, the next decade. Lord, we give it all to you because we have no authority and no control over it. And so we ask you, God, to minister in Jesus' name. Would you stand with me and let's worship together and I'll come back and we'll receive communion. Let's sing in worship.